So another Christmas and New Year behind us. Yes, and a whole new New Year ahead. Right. <laughs> That's the difference between us, Jimmy. You kind of like, oh, the year is gone, Christmas is gone, oh, woe is me. Whereas I'm thinking, wow, 2023, a whole new year of new possibilities. Well, yeah, I wasn't thinking, woe is me. I'm happy that Christmas is gone. <laughs> so the Grinch who tried to ruin Christmas. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Um, I think it was Stall Christmas. We have a couple of things to catch up on uh, since we've been silent over the holiday period. There was the couple who managed to finally get a ban on their neighbours smoking on their balcony because the smoke was coming into their house. Mm. It took them a long time, didn't they? Yeah. And then that prompted a comment by the president of the Strata Community Association that a blanket ban on smoking could lead to a ban on barbecues. Ooh, you'd be happy to see that. Yes, well, (laughs) uh, yeah, well, we'll have a chat about that. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is a flat chat wrap. Barbecues on balconies. Yes, I know I've got history in this. Mm. What do you reckon, Sue? Well, I know it's your bête noire, isn't it really? You feel that barbecues have no place on apartment balconies because the smoke goes into other people's apartments Mm. and so many people just um, burn off the residue of their last barbecue. Which might be weeks old. Yep, which can really stink. Look, I have a lot of sympathy with that. But at the same time, a barbecue is a kind of part of the Australian way of life. Mm. And if people look after their barbecues correctly and they make sure lots of smoke doesn't drift into their um, neighbours, well, yes. But but if they looked after them properly, then there wouldn't be a problem. Right. So really the idea is to stamp out bad barbecue users rather than get rid of barbecues completely from apartment balconies. I mean, I guess you also have an idea that it can be quite dangerous sometimes as well. Yeah, I mean, look, the only injury when we had terrible, horrendous winds, I think it was this time last year, the year before, was somebody being hit by a flying gas canister from a barbecue. Mm. It just got picked up by the wind. It must have been empty, I would think. Picked up by the wind and thrown off and hit this poor bloke in the street just walking along. But I don't think you can blame all barbecues for that. No, but I thought you were kind of thinking more of um, if anything caught fire or overheated or sparked or... Well, you know, it just strikes me as ironic that here we are getting ourselves in a tiz and spending millions of dollars removing flammable cladding from buildings without removing a source of naked flames from buildings. Mm, Yep. But then if there's a building without um, flammable cladding, would it be okay for them to have a barbecue? No. Okay. (laughs) And is that that because of the smoke or is it because of the inherent risk of danger? It's a cultural thing. At the moment, we've got a campaign going on for Australia Day. And basically, it implies that you're un-Australian if you don't eat lamb. Mm, yes. So imagine what they those people would say about people who say you can't have barbecues. Now, we're not saying you can't have barbecues at all because a lot of buildings have communal barbecue areas, which I think is fine. Mm. It's actually a good thing because mm. then people would meet each other while yep. they're out there burning their 
beef or whatever it is they've got. So I'm not against barbecues per se. I'm not even against people cooking meat and sausages and bacon if that's what they want. It's not my preference, but, you know, that's their choice. It's just this complete lack of concern for everybody all around you. If you imagine uh, an apartment in that kind of Brady Bunch grid of, you know, three rows of three... Mm. So the people beside you and the people above you are all going to likely to be affected by the smell from your barbecue. Why are we not allowed to say, uh, can you just cut this down a bit and can you be a bit more considerate? Mm. Well, so you'd, you'd say you can only use it once a week or something like that? I would say, right, we've had situations in the past where the people who rented the flat below us in the past, not the current ones, it seemed to be like three young guys who were sharing, none of whom had been taught to cook, apparently. So it was a barbecue every night. Every night they cooked mm. on the barbecue. Mm. It was disgusting. Mm. You know, and it wasn't just meat that they were cooking. They were obviously cooking prawns and fish and stuff like that. It was absolutely disgusting. It drove me mad. So you've got that situation where people are using it as their main form of cooking. Mm. I don't think that should be allowed. Mm. These apartments all have pretty high-tech stoves in them. Learn to cook. Sure. And I mean, I, I guess it's okay in a house if you've got a backyard and you use your barbecue to barbecue. Yeah, don't care. Don't care about houses. Fish. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's in the open air, really. But yeah. a, an apartment balcony is still a very enclosed space. You've got a building like ours, which is, I think they call it, negatively pressured. So if you leave your windows open... It will draw air in. Mm. Our building, in fact, is not allowed to have air conditioning. So if it's a hot summer's day, the kind of day that people want to do, use their barbecue, we've got to leave our windows open to let the air blow through. If somebody's cooking with a barbecue, it just blows smoke into our apartment. Mm. And we get like about five seconds where we've got to sprint and try and get the doors shut before the whole house is stunk out with somebody's rotten meat. That can I mean, be very rot annoying. rotten meat is probably overstating yes, it slightly. Exactly. I so, remember we were we were discussing it in an EC meeting once that we had in somebody's apartment, and we just about got to the thing about barbecues whether we should be allowing them, and suddenly this huge cloud of acrid black smoke came into the apartment, the, and it was so thick we could hardly see each other, and it was from the neighbor's barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of. Quite timely, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it can be very, very annoying. And particularly if you've got kids, you know, it's not very nice for them to be breathing in that, that kind of secondhand barbecue smoke, really. Everybody knows now, I think, well, no, not everybody knows. They will when I tell them that burnt meat is carcinogenic. There are elements in the surface of burnt meat that cause cancer. Mm. And, in fact... If you eat a lot of meat, you're more likely to get stomach cancer. So it's not healthy mm. for a start. Whether or not that can be transmitted through smoke is a whole other issue. The big problem for me is it's all or nothing. You cannot say to people, can we restrict the use of barbecues in apartment blocks? They'll go, no, 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 you're not allowed to stop us. This is our freedom. This is our right to do this. So you can't actually say, how about no more than three times a week? Mm. Really hard to police that, though, isn't it? Really. Well, but then it could be a guideline that people, you know, you know, the, the we've got a, might a, adhere to. Our, our building has a voluntary code of conduct, and a lot of people look at the word voluntary and they hear unenforceable. 
<laughs> you know, mm. I can do what I want. Nobody can stop me because this is voluntary and I choose not to abide by these rules. Mm. Again, it's the all or nothing thing. You stand up at a meeting, you say, can we have some restrictions on barbecues? And people go absolutely berserk. And then you look, uh, you go outside on the street and look at the number of barbecues on the balcony. Mm. And you go, there's only about, uh, at the most, 20 to 25% of the balconies have barbecues. So you've got this substantially small minority deciding the quality of life for everybody else in the building because they're obsessed with wanting or needing to cook on an open grill or a hot plate on a balcony and create as much smoke and stink as they want when they want, and nobody's allowed to challenge that. Mm. So therefore you kind of feel that barbecue should be banned on balconies then, do you? I think in the same way that we have pet bylaws, I think every strata scheme in New South Wales should be legally obliged to have a bylaw about smoking and a bylaw about barbecues. I'm not saying what that bylaw should be, but it should be there so that people have to think about what they're doing. Mm. And so people can complain as well and say, look, you know, there's been three barbecues this week and the person isn't cleaning their grill properly. So yeah. it's really, yeah. Con- yeah. Well, the simplest way to do it, I mean, we you, any building can do this because the balconies in most apartment blocks are common property mm. and the owner's corporation can control what is and what isn't on the balcony, even down to the colour of, you know, any tables and chairs on the balcony because it's common property. So you can say, yes, you can have a barbecue, but on condition that X, Y, Z, you don't use it every night or you clean it when you do use it and and stuff like that. Mm. So it's given people the default position is you have permission to use it, but there are conditions applied to that. Mm. And the problem is you cannot raise this issue in a lot of strata schemes without creating this hysteria about people's rights to eat burnt animal flesh. And being un-Australian. And being un-Australian. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, we need a lot more reason and uh, rationality. But we need people to have to think about it. And the way you get people to have to think about it is you put a standard bylaw about smoking and a standard bylaw about barbecues and allow every scheme to change those bylaws in, in within the parameters. You know, it's got to be reasonable to suit the lifestyle of the people in the building. And the type of building as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, happy summer days. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk about whether you should be allowed to go to your strata committee meetings and how you should behave when you get there. That's after this. We're back and there's been a bit of discussion on... Flat Chat website and on LinkedIn, in fact, about strata committees and whether owners should attend and whether they should be allowed to attend. Mm. And just to clarify the situation, in New South Wales, you have the right to attend your strata committee meeting, but you can only speak if you're invited to do so or allowed to do so by the committee. In Queensland, The same applies, but you have to tell the chair or the secretary in writing 24 hours before the meeting that you're planning to attend. Mm -hmm. But again, you can only speak if you're invited or allowed. In Victoria, you have no right to attend a strata committee meeting at all. 
You can attend if you're invited to, but if you're not invited to, you can't attend. Now, to me, that is the very start of a lot of the problems that are starting to become apparent in Victoria, where people are finding out that things are going wrong in their buildings long after it's possible to fix these problems Mm. simply. Um, The committees get very secretive. They're supposed to issue minutes, but they don't. I'm not saying this is all committees. In fact, it's a minority of committees in Victoria. But there are some committees that are very secretive. They don't allow anyone to attend. They only issue in the minutes what they want to issue. And people say, well, you just elect another committee. Well, the way the, the elections work in Victoria is the committee stays in power unless somebody else is voted on in the place of the people that are there, mm. which is a kind of default you know, continuation of the same people rusting on the committee. Sure, and you don't really know how people are performing unless you go along and have a look or you read the minutes closely and the minutes are a true reflection of the meeting. But the minutes, often they are, in some cases that we've had reported to us, they just don't exist. Mm. And the VCAT, which is the Victorian Civil Administrative Tribunal, is very slack on enforcing these things. They Mm. don't come along and say to committees, you must start issuing these minutes and stuff like that. In fact, from what I'm hearing is they're so clogged up there with uh, rental disputes at the moment that VCAT isn't listening to strata disputes at all. That's appalling. Yeah, I agree. Um, And, you know, and the other thing about uh, strata committees in Victoria is the chair in Victoria has a casting vote. So you just realise you add up all these things, the lack of transparency, the the lack of compulsion to do what the law tells them that they should be doing in terms of issuing agendas and minutes, and the fact that one person in a committee can have a lot of power just opens the door for anybody who wants to act corruptly to do so. Mm. And in, in uh, one case that was reported to us, the committee chair and the building manager had colluded to they had an agreement to replace all the windows in the building but they got a contractor to do it at something like eight times the cost that it would have been done by anybody else and did this in several buildings where they were both chair and building manager did they have a relationship with the contractor then you would think so there's Mm. a a very healthy kickback coming into their pockets but how do you how do you prove that So I think it's really important that owners, there's a potential for owners to turn up at committee meetings and listen to what's going on. Now, the other side of that coin, as has been pointed out to me, is the disruptive owner. Because it's all very well to say you're not allowed to speak unless you're given permission to speak. What if somebody says, well, I don't need your permission, I'm going to talk anyway? Mm. I'm going to disrupt this meeting because I don't agree with the decisions you're making or because I, you know, you know what it's like. It's, you've seen it at close hand. People come in and say, I've been hard done by and usually because they don't understand the law and you won't do this and you won't do that. And when people say, well, we're not discussing that now and they just go on and on and on. And, and I've heard of cases where the building security people have been called to the meeting to remove the disruptive owner. Mm. And they've basically said, well, we don't do that. We can't do that. We're not insured for that. We're not empowered to do that. And so the meeting has to be cancelled. Well, I've been at a meeting where that happened before. 
And the chair, who was thinking on her feet really, said, okay, I declare this meeting um, adjourned. adjourned, and then we're going to um, reconvene it in another place. And she didn't tell the members of the who weren't members of the committee which place it was going to be. Right. So we all then decamped to another apartment and continued the meeting there. Right. Which is not strictly legal. No, because it doesn't allow any other people to come along if they wanted to. But what you've done there is something that is very pragmatic. And nobody's going to go to NCAT, a tribunal, and say, I want this meeting declared null and void because they didn't follow proper procedure. I mean, NCAT will say, yeah, it didn't follow proper procedure, don't do it again. Mm. But they're not going to declare all the decisions made. And this is one of the things we get hamstrung by second-guessing all the time what might happen if somebody took us to tribunal. If you're acting illegally or corruptly, then, yeah, you should get taken to the tribunal and that should be fixed. But in terms of just not following the letter of strata law, I think you've got to give yourself a bit of leeway. If somebody, as an owner, comes in and is deliberately disruptive and basically sits there and says, I'm going to disrupt this meeting because I can and because you won't do what I want, Mm. then I think you're entitled to bend the rules. Mm. Absolutely. But, you know, you can't legislate that. Yeah, but I think generally speaking... I mean, I keep saying to people uh, on the on the website, get a code of conduct, a code of conduct enshrined in a bylaw, mm. a code of conduct and standing orders. And standing orders will say things like, a person can't speak for a second time until everybody who wants to speak has had at least one turn, mm. which is, you know, it sounds a bit kind of uh, over-organized, pedestrian, pedestrian mm. but it means that People who want to speak aren't constantly getting shouted down by the one, the loudest voice in the room mm. who keeps butting in and butting in and butting in. Absolutely. Well, you could hold meetings at 5 a.m. <laughs> well, there's things, people have done things like holding meetings in rooms at the top of staircases because one of the people that they objected they didn't <laughs> like was in a wheelchair. Oh, my God. Right. So they're saying, well, we told them where the meeting was and it's up to them to find their way there. <gasps> well, that's a bit, a bit isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's oh, it's holding a meeting at 5 a.m. A lot of strata managers will hold meetings during their working hours, which also happens to be everybody else's working hours. Mm. So people who have got jobs can't attend the meetings. Yeah. Now, there's nothing in the law to stop them doing that, except that if you get control of the committee, you can get rid of the strata manager for not doing what the, the, own, the majority of owners want. Mm. But I think having standing orders backed up by a bylaw so that you can say, for instance, if you've got a disruptive person at a meeting, you can say, okay, I propose that this person is named in the minutes as being disruptive. Mm. And then the committee takes a vote. Committee is protected by privilege immunity against prosecution or, or being sued or whatever for libel because they're doing this in the normal course of their their business Mm. and so the minutes go out and it says so and so jimmy thompson was uh, named for being disruptive at this meeting and was asked to leave the meeting and refused to leave right so so at least everybody else in the building knows Mm. that that person is being disruptive and being a pain Um, but you've got to put these structures in place you've got to get the bylaws passed to to do that and again 
fair trading in New South Wales in Victoria is is pretty much the same. The issue fact sheets that tell you you can do this, you can do, and you can't do that, and mm. then nobody says this is how to conduct a meeting. They tell you these are the things you must do in a meeting. There's nothing that says this is how to conduct a meeting. This is how to protect the members against disruptive owners and things like that. And that's just such a basic thing that people go into strata committees, they've got no idea. Mm. And unless I mean, they might, they might be members of committees elsewhere and they try and bring that structure in, which is usually, you know, fine. But if they're not, they're just, you know, stumbling around with absolutely no assistance on how they should and could be doing things. Yeah, that would be really helpful, wouldn't it, really? It would. I remember we had a, a chairperson once of an EC who was high up in an IT company and his company always had, um, they held their meetings and for every item on the agenda, they would only allow two and a half minutes. So he started to run our meetings in that same way. And after two and a half minutes, he would say, that's it, no more discussion, we'll move to a vote. And it was just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, the meetings were very, very quick, but it did mean that, you know, everybody rebelled, obviously, after the first after after the first meeting, I think, yeah. which just said we can't yeah. carry on like this. It's just crazy. One final word on being un-Australian and not wanting barbecues and things. We're coming up to, as well as Australia Day, we're coming up to Burns Night and uh, the Scottish poet celebrates. Mm. Yeah. And uh, there's a traditional haggis. Now, if you want a recipe, anybody who's out there who's a vegetarian or health conscious and wants a recipe for vegetarian haggis, which actually works because we've done it, haven't we? Yes, well, you've done it, and I've um, eaten it. It was it, very good. Yeah. So there will be a link on the website uh, for a website called Scottish Scran, and I won't even try and spell it. It'll be on the website. There'll be a link there. Um, find it. Give it a try. And mm. I tell you what, it won't stink out your neighbour's apartment either. And it'll be quite interesting, a, a conversation starter for an Australian day lunch. Yeah, people will say, where did you get this excellent tasting thing? <laughs> And they say oh, it's a website about living in apartments. <laughs> you make the connection. All right, thanks, Sue. Okay, cheers, Jimmy. We're up and running again. Great, and Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, and we probably need that timing thing to stop us going over time, as we always do. But it's not too bad this week. Thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again talk to you again next week